0: if you will, turn with me to the Gospel of Luke. As you may know, we are in a sermon series called Listen to Him, all right? And it is uh, based off this book here, this resource that we, um, we have given to you and are encouraging you to get, um, and we are, we are desiring over this Lenten season, which will last uh, all the way to Easter Sunday... We're desiring to hear from the Lord. And we are making room for that sort of thing to happen through our fasting and through our praying. So join with me as we read a portion of Luke. We'll be in uh, different portions of Luke until Easter as well. So notice here, this is Luke 10, and we're going to begin here in verse 25. This is probably a very well-known text for many of you. Uh, Notice these words from Scripture. And behold... ...a lawyer stood up to put him to the test... ...saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, Well, you shall love the Lord your God... ...with all your heart, with all your soul... ...with all your strength, with all your mind... ...and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly... ...because Jesus himself... Elsewhere in the gospel lists these two commands as the two in which all of the law hangs upon. And this is from Deuteronomy and from Leviticus. And he says, notice, not just, great job, you've answered well, sir. But instead, notice the words here. Do this and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? He's trying to play, play the part of the philosopher. Jesus replied... And by the way, I just want to make a note here. Do you notice Jesus' pedagogy, which is his way of teaching? Which is to say, anytime somebody asks him a direct question... ...he either does one of two things. He will either ask another question, which we call in, in teaching... ...you know, the Socratic method, right? So he'll ask another question that should lead you to the answer. Or he'll tell a story... And gave them to the innkeeper saying, take care of him. And whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said, you go and do likewise. Likewise. Jesus, we thank you for your word. How, how amazing is your word, Lord? I, it never ceases to amaze me, no matter how many times I come to your scriptures. There is more to be gleaned, like a deep well of life. Let us drink from that well today, we pray in your name. Amen. I want to say this to begin with. Remember the story. We just came out of a series on the long story short, right? And so remember that we are not... I mean, this was sort of the conclusion of that entire uh, series of sermons... ...is is we are not called out of the world. In other words, when God saves us... ...He doesn't save us to be out of the world in some disembodied heaven. For even where our loved ones are who have gone before us now... ...this is not their eternal resting place. There should be an inserted amen in brackets... I think it's right here in my sermon notes. No, I'm just kidding. Because this is where our faith resides... ...is in resurrection. And so long as the body remains ashes... ...there is no resurrection... ...therefore we are not at the end. Maybe a soft ending... ...maybe sort of like a mid-season finale... ...but it's not the end... ...until the resurrection of the dead. And Jesus himself is the firstborn of that fruit... And so we are not called to some disembodiment or out of the world... ...but rather called right back into the world. As you just heard in my brief retelling of the story of St. Patrick... ...on this St. Patrick's Day... uh, ...he was a man who was kidnapped at 16 years old... ...and sent into slavery to Ireland. And after a period of slavery there, he escaped... And, of course, you would not really want to go back to that place again of your persecution, of your suffering, where his, literally, childhood had been stolen. And yet, through a series of events, God calls him back to the very people who kidnapped, persecuted, and made him suffer. In other words, God is in the business of calling us into a particular mess... Not out of it. We think in terms that we get saved and that should mean then that everything is going to be sunny days and daisies. And this is simply not true. Another good place to say amen. You walk with the Lord for just a few weeks and one will notice that things don't always go your way. Or even the way you think God should have made them go. Unlike the characters in this story, we are called to go down into the mess and rescue others. I think you just saw a picture of me at St. Patrick's grave in Downpatrick, Northern Ireland. Uh, That was when I was 21 years old. Looks like a different guy somewhat, doesn't it? Maybe it's just because I spiked my hair and had it long then, you know. Maybe that's the only difference. Probably not. Nonetheless, notice this. Moses is probably the Bible's, in the, at least in the Old Testament, probably the most premier example of someone getting down into somebody else's mess uh, to save a group of people. Um, it's interesting that in Exodus 3, at the burning bush, God is very clear with Moses, and he says this. He says, look, I have seen, I have heard, and I have come down to deliver. I have seen, I have heard, I've come down to deliver. You may have noticed in our text, if you are, were reading critically with me along there, that it's a going down the road. You see, the Christian life is not about escaping into some type of heavenly disembodiment of going up, for we are still here, are we not? And there is a critical reason why we are here. And that is because we have a critical mission. A commission from Jesus Christ to incarnate the gospel in human flesh. For isn't this what our Lord did Himself? He doesn't remain in some logos form without a body. Rather, the logos, the word, became and dwelt among us. Christianity is not... ...philosophical... ...principles... ...or syllogisms... ...but rather... ...a person. I need to repeat that again. Christianity is about a person. One can know all of the arguments... ...have all of the data... ...and not have... ...Christianity... ...who is... ...Christ... ...the way... ...the truth... ...and the life... But the story doesn't stop there. Interestingly, after God has seen and heard and now come down to deliver, look at the way in which he does deliver. (laughs) For a few verses later in Exodus 3, he will say, Come, Moses, I will send you. You see, God's plan is always to send a person not a law passed through by Congress, not the structures of warfare or the theater of war, but rather a person that will literally bleed sacrificial love. That's always the calling of Jesus is to take up your cross and follow His example. And His example is one ...of sacrificial love. If it were politics that would save the world... ...then Jesus would have got involved with politics. He would have ran for office... ...or simply been a dictator... ...because there were no running for offices... ...during his period of time. But he didn't. He's a king of a different fabric. One that we must also... ...put on... ...in him. So... ...Moses is called down... ...into the mess of what will be Israel, the elect of God. God is doing a new thing, and that new thing is a nation. And through that nation, one will come who is the king of that nation, the true king. Not just David. For David even saw himself as the under-shepherd of the great shepherd king who is God. It's going to be through saints of God that the world is saved. That's the way God likes to do it. I I didn't think that up. Nobody else is pushing this. Most of us are actually trying to get out of it. We're saying, like Isaiah, surely not me. And God is saying, surely you. But, But like Moses... ...and God comes to the end of his arguing with Moses... And he will with us as well. And he says, go. Go or you're in disobedience. What mess are you called to? Have you gone? Have you heard? Have you seen? Have you come down? Think of the martyrs of the faith. Martyr in Greek is witness. So every time you see witness, we overcome by the word of our testimony, our witness smarter we are to be all martyrs for christ this is why maybe we can understand jesus words when he tells his disciples when he sends them out he says i send you out as lambs among wolves it's like whoa pump the brake what do you mean lambs who's the wolves us no no for all for maybe The only way that the world can taste and see that the Lord is good is to take a bite out of us. Are we willing to be bitten for him? Or will we live guarded lives of protection and safety? This was not Jesus' plan. It was not the lifestyle in which he lived. It wasn't how he died. If he would have been looking out for number one, protecting himself, praying to the Father, I need your protection in going to the cross. I won't do it without your protection. What would have come of all of us? But instead, he defers to the Father. Gives up his own life for others, which is always... The game plan. So I ask you again, what mess are you called to? Oftentimes we, in fact, do come out of a mess. Just like St. Patrick did. We, too, were abused early on. We, too, made wrong decisions. We, too, participated in sin and death and evil. But God does not want to deliver us just so we can walk around with our nose in the air at others who we are better than, but rather, like the publican, we beat our chest and say, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. Who went away justified? The one who recognized their sin. Many think that the empire of Rome was converted because one person was converted, that is, Constantine. And that is just simply not the case historically. There's been more evidence done even recently in scholarship on the matter, and it really shows some of the uh, prejudice of Constantine to be the type of politician that politicians are, in fact. And that is, those who what might... Lick their finger and see which way the wind is blowing. For at the time in which Constantine converted, the Roman world was already converted to Christianity. Not because of any laws of the land. It was illegal to be Christian. But rather it was because of Christians getting down into the mess of society in the first century world. They may not have had the same means to abort babies and to discard the disabled as we do today, but Romans nonetheless found ways to discard children. They would throw them in the city dump. If a child came out with a disability, they would throw them in the city dump and Christians would come and retrieve these children and raise them in their own homes. You make a sacrificial statement like that and the world has to stand up and take notice of that. That is a love that is foreign to this world. Not only that, the gladiatorial games were ended because of Christians. The last game was played somewhere around 400. After the martyr of a saint... And the emperor said, No more, no more. This isn't fun anymore. The entertainment is gone. What had been once called entertainment warning alert became evil and sin and destructive. God help us in our entertaining. you know, one of the reasons that that Rome fell was because of entertainment. You know, the Roman poet said famously, which then was later made into a movie, Hunger Games, uh, based off of that one statement, you give people bread and circuses, they don't care what else happens. A little food and a little entertainment will sterilize many. We're just sitting in front of our TVs, our devices, eating our good food, Life is good, and it's not. For it's not what we're called to. We are called to go at times without bread and entertainment. This is why we've called you here to a Lenten fast, in fact. Is to push back from the table. Is to cut off the devices in order to listen to him. Look, I like entertainment just as much as the next guy. Or gal, But it must not rule us. It must not be our only source... ...of knowledge in the world. God help us. Think of Gandhi... ...and the Indian Revolution... ...non-violently. I mean, here... ...here's a nation that had been ruled... ...for 300 and something years... ...by the British... And yet, through a campaign of nonviolent sacrificial love, based on the teachings of Jesus and how he did it, Gandhi changed the face of India forever. And now his face is plastered on all of their money, all of their rupees. You're not going to have any money in India that doesn't have his face on it. Why? Because of one person's sacrificial love. And maybe this is a good example for us. You say, why in the world are you talking about a Hindu? Because he never converted to Christianity. In a church service. Well, Jesus does something similar, doesn't he, in his story today? He says there was a Samaritan. Who are the Samaritans? The Samaritans are a hybrid that actually thought they were Jewish. They demanded to be seen as Jewish, as the elect people of God. They had their own Old Testament... They had their own heresies that they believed in. And Jesus even corrects the woman at the well and says, No woman, you're worshipping the wrong God. But one day, you won't have to go to Jerusalem. Because everybody will worship in spirit and in truth. Praise God. And yet, Jesus' premier example is not the pastor or the deacon or the elder, or the worker within the church who's busy about his business. For the Levite, remember, was set aside for work in the temple. And the priest, of course, was an ordained person out of the Levitical line. Here are the two people, of all people, that if they were, in fact, loving God with all their heart, and loving their neighbor as their self, would have surely went down And saw. And heard. And saved. But instead. They looked at their watch. (sighs) I got to get to church. I got to get to my children. They have baseball tonight. Look I'm in the same world you are. When I say things like that. I'm not looking down on you. I'm beating my own chest saying. God have mercy on me. A sinner. Because I've not gone down before, just like you. And then the Levite comes and goes around, avoiding the issue. But a Samaritan. Maybe we could say a Hindu. Maybe we could say, in light of recent events, a Muslim. All of a sudden goes down. And Jesus asked the man who obviously would be Jewish and in his mind playing out a Jewish-themed story. He asked him a pointed question. Who showed mercy? Who did what was right? And he had to confess the Muslim, the Hindu. That'd be a tough pill to swallow. Really, maybe I think it's closer actually to say... Mormon. Close. But far off when it comes to Jesus Christ, His divinity, His personhood. No matter who you insert there, the point is, sometimes we think way better than ourself than what is the reality of ourself. You see... This guy's trying to justify himself, and so he asks Jesus what he thinks is a fantastic question. Which is, well, then who is my neighbor? Because like us, he wants a checklist. You know what I mean? He wants to be able to say, okay, I got you. So literally, my now, I'll go take him some food today. Big deal. I'll talk to him at the mailbox. Instead of shutting down the garage in their face, I'll just wave at him, okay? I'll get it done, all right? check. People at work, yeah, I probably do need to be nicer to that person. They seem to be going through a bad time. I'll ask them and pray for them. Check. Who's my neighbor, Jesus? Come on, bring it. Instead, (laughs) Jesus doesn't give him a list. He doesn't bite on the bait. Instead, Jesus ultimately in this story tells him, you be the neighbor. In other words... How's neighboring for you, sir? Not a checklist. It's not as easy as that. Instead, you be the neighbor. In other words, it's the call that Moses got. And that is, God's going to save the world. Yay, great. He's going to do it through you. Oh, crap. That's why we send the kids away. Sometimes we use adult language. (laughs) Forgive me. Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. You go and do likewise. It's not about who is our neighbor. It's about us being a neighbor. So maybe we could twist a little bit of Mr. Rogers' words... ...and say, won't you be a neighbor? Rather than waiting on others to serve us... ...won't you be a neighbor to others and serve them? Rather than posting up in our nice homes... ...and trying to get some type of semblance... ...of comfort in our life... ...won't we interject ourselves down into somebody else's mess... I think this is exactly the kind of life Carrie Lawrence lived. When she could have been enjoying retirement in all sorts of ways, traveling around the world, she only traveled when it meant she was going to purposefully get into somebody else's mess. She'd go to Canada and get involved in the, what they call Indians there. The native people there, she got involved in their mess. In Costa Rica, got involved in their mess. She got involved in our mess right here in Huntsville. For we too have a mess. It's unlike what others have faced. But the principle remains the same. God is calling to save and deliver this area. And he's going to do it through people in this room. You say, surely not me, surely you. If you will listen today, you'll hear his call to get involved in somebody's mess. I don't know what that looks like. Maybe it's family for you. Maybe it's a single person for you. Maybe it's your spouse. Like Jesus, I'm not going to give a list today. But I will challenge you and say, have you heard his call? Are you currently mixed up in a mess somewhere? Because if you're not, are you on mission with him? That's as sincere as I know how to put it. Psychologically speaking, there's been some tests done and the people who are busy in life with responsible things, things that matter, they have a way more fulfilling life than those who just have bread and circuses. We think the answer to the poor is to give them some bread. Give them Netflix. They'll be okay. I mean, I'm okay when I have food and Netflix. God forbid we offer them anything but the word of God. Amen. Wow. For man does not live by bread alone. Maybe we could add, not adding to scripture, so don't get nervous. Bread and circuses alone. But by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. Have you heard that word? Are you feeding on that word and then turning around and breaking it to others? That's the kind of broken life we should have before God, right here in Huntsville. I talked to um, a person that, that used to go, uh, or he, he used to come to our church, um, and and he had to. They, they moved away; their family moved away. Long story short, here, um, I talked to him this week, and I hadn't talked to him in a long time, and. He was talking along there, and he said, yeah, we weren't, we weren't really all that faithful, you know, when we, when we were in the area. Uh, and I was like, yeah, okay. And he said, um, he said and, and looking back, now that we're out here in California, he said, first of all, we hate California. Um, it's just a terrible. Uh, ex- I won't go into all of what he said, but, but he's like, it's just, it's not Alabama. <laughs> you rarely hear that, don't you? I was like, wow, man, <laughs> California must be bad then, you know. <laughs> Never been there, but uh, don't sound like a place I'd like to go. Um, and he, he said something pretty profound. I, I had to stop him. I said, listen, do you understand? You just said something really profound. I just want to point that out. Maybe you knew. Maybe you didn't. But he said this. He said, when we were here, though, he said, man, we had... it's pretty nice. We had a good job. We were able to drop the kids off at good schools. Everything was pretty good in our life. We didn't feel like we needed God. And until they got out in a mess... In California, and said, and looked at each other and said, We gotta go to church. We need help. Did they realize their bankruptcy? You see, some of us are up to debt, up to eyeballs in debt, not monetarily, spiritual bankruptcy. And we're spending away and just, yeah, we get in an a boat and we're getting this and we're getting that, spending, spending. The bill's going to come due one day. And you're going to be sitting there with nothing if you don't ground it on the greatest investment of your life, Jesus Christ. Our area is one where things are pretty good for most people. It really is. It's very dangerous that we miss God. Don't miss God. ...purposefully ask the Lord... ...to get you mixed up in somebody else's mess... ...because that's the only way... ...the world will be saved. If you see a mess in society... ...it won't be redeemed... ...unless somebody's willing to get in there... ...and sacrifice... ...for the sake of Christ. Some of you... ...have been doing that... ...and you know the power of that kind of redemption. Some of you are stories of that in your own personal life where you were abandoned and someone took you in. You became their mess. And praise be to God, there are people like that. So I ask again in closing, what mess are you called to? You really shouldn't leave this place today without knowing what he's saying to you. We're all called. Repent, therefore, and believe. But don't stop there. Add the most important component to Jesus' words here, his closing words. You go and do likewise. So go in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.